You ready for some Wednesday Night Football? Uh, what, UL versus uh, App State? That's like a App genuinely State. good football it's game. It's a very good game. Sunbelt title on the line. Got money on the cases. Um, maybe if we put in theme music, they'll put us on the iTunes store. Yeah. I was wondering that. Yeah, have you taken charge of this yet? Um, I'm about to. I can do to help. No, I know. No, I will. I'm about to. Uh, I can like, constantly ask questions about it. I'm talking to the mic. I know. I wish. I'm I wish. talking into the mic. Okay, that's better. Theme yeah. music. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What's we need like some good like garage band unlicensed music so that we don't get. We're just trouble. like a repeat of Ed saying hold that and then we dub in podcast. <laughs> I mean that's not bad. That's not bad. I could definitely make that. That'd be easy. Uh. All right. Welcome in. <laughs> it is another edition of the Hold That Podcast. Podcast. T. Bob A. Bear and Brody Miller hanging out with you. Of course, I come from Off the Bench, which is a local morning radio show, and Brody comes from The Athletic, which is a premier sports writing subscription service that you should go get right now. It is very cheap. They have incredible talent. And if you have forgotten what it is like to surf the internet, go on websites and read articles without advertisements, well, let me tell you, it is glorious. He says he basically gives an advertisement. Yeah, I mean, no, look, that is true. But hey, <laughs> thank what, you, though. I appreciate it. But I mean, that's 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 the it's one ad that you have to listen to to then get in and have no ads. And while we're on it, go buy a bear specialty meats off of Jefferson. All right, now we got a game to talk about. For we once. have a we have a lot to for, talk about. To today. Actually, talk about. Um, there are about a million different angles from which I want to approach this. Um, we'll start talking about Utah State because I think there were some interesting developments therein. I think we talk about how much of that carryover can you expect from Utah State. I think we start to preview this Florida game. And I think that I don't know that I have, um, just off the bat here, I don't know that I've ever seen a game when you talk about Florida where it is going to be so clearly on the offensive and defensive lines. And I know that comes into play every week, just like in any big game, you can be like, well, turnovers are going to be really important this week. And you got to win the battle in the trenches. But like, look at the Texas game. You didn't really win that battle in the trenches. You arguably lost, but you won the game. Um, If you lose the battle in the trenches against Florida, I don't see how you're going to win the game. So so we'll we'll get into that more later. But first, Brody, let's start with Utah State, uh, just because that's what we got to do. Final score, what, 42-6? 42-6. Maybe the most complete team performance. Yeah, you saw the defense was excellent. One, okay, so so discuss. You, give me your take on this because this is something interesting. Is that we're on the other side of this game, and we're talking about how it was a sloppy performance from the offense, maybe not yeah. the most consistent, and yet it's kind of a sign of the times that sloppy performance is to the tune of six hundred yards, yeah. five touchdowns through the air, forty minutes time of possession, two fifty on the ground. Like how I guess how do you uh, how do you marry those two opinions? I think you can ignore the sloppiness because at five games is your your only kind of sloppy game, and yeah, like you said, even your sloppy gives you six hundred yards. So not like there's not a single concern about the offense. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway is that like okay, they slowed the ball down, they controlled the ball, they ran the ball more, gave the defense a rest, and it made like a drastic difference. But then you go back to chicken or the egg, right? Like. Did they actually just fix things defensively, or does yep. the rest get credit? Like maybe this off, maybe people are right that this this up tempo offense actually makes a difference on the defense, or or maybe they just flat out fix some things. I don't know. What was your your read on that? I mean, no, that is that 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 is a question, right? I'm trying to think exact, exact, exactly how to word it. So it's like, was the defense better because the offense controlled the ball more, or did the offense control the ball more because the defense? Was better and um, and 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 it's no. probably. It's, I think it's the former. Yeah, I, I I I think so. If you had to, um, but then how much of an impact did that actually? <sighs> I okay so the, okay so if it is the former, then that raises questions about what is the ideal LSU offensive tempo, and it's probably on a week to week basis, on like a game plan type of basis, but. When you see that sort of defensive success, do you come out of this game and do you think, well, we should be playing a more ball control style? We should be able, we, we, we should try to run the ball more. Um, and then, and then, if you do feel that way, the big question then becomes, well, can you carry it over against teams that are not named Utah State? So I think there are a lot of things going on here, and I have a lot of answers to that. I think it is one of the most fascinating discussions of this week and the season now. Is okay, so. I think the answer is you pick your spots. I mean, I don't think like this should prove that you should control the ball, and I don't think it. Also, I mean, I also don't think else you should go, you know, full speed all the time. Um, 
I think it's worth noting that I don't I think the reason to control the ball was a mix of a lot of things. I don't I think it was partially Utah State is one of the fastest tempos in the country, so if you can suck the air out of the ball on them a little bit, that's gonna give you an advantage yep. to make them play out of their comfort zone. Two, yeah, I think the wrestling factor in I do think they wanted to try that out and also to be able to show they can do both. You know, I think that's that's important. And then third, I think it's as simple as it's what Granted, they didn't go f- as fast, but the running the ball p- part of it, that was as simple as that's what Utah State was giving them. Exactly. Like, exactly. So- sometimes people, like, make... That is the main point. Some people, like, make it a little too black and white. Like, they were putting five, sometimes, like, sometimes five guys in the box, and they it were playing the back lightest, on the DBs. It was the lightest boxes that I've ever seen versus an LSU team. Yeah, so they ran the ball, and that's what was open. They got five yards per carry out of it. I think sometimes it's that... I remember talking to one LSU staffer, uh, you know, during the game, uh, during halftime, and he was like, yeah, it's what they're giving us. Like, it's not that complicated but I do think it's a bit of everything and I think that's what's important here is that I think uh I was talking to Ron Higgins I'll give him credit for this about of of, uh Tiger Detail and he was saying like look at Alabama that first Lane Kiffin year like they kind of learned like you can't go full spread all the time you have to pick your spots there is punishment for doing that too much so I think LSU needs to Pick its spots. So Utah State, maybe slow it down. Florida, I think you want to go as fast as humanly possible because Dan Mullen knows how to control a game, and he knows how to control the clock and yeah. kind of bet where you're down. You want to go fast against Florida, but some other games you might need to slow it down. And and I'll, the last thing I'll say is, regardless of like what's better for the team, this offense, the best option is this offense scoring at will. Like, yeah. Even if it means the defense takes a hit, you still want that offense scoring at will because yeah. it's off the charts right now. It's like look at the Vandy game, the 66-38 game or whatever. He gave up 14 points off of turnovers, and it didn't matter because of the offensive onslaught, because yeah. the offense can score at will. It's the strength of your team right now, and you want to lean into your strengths. I'm with you. I, th- I think the tempo thing is simply like you said. It is all. There's no right answer. It is all going to be situational, and it's even within the game like – What's your feel? Um, If Florida plays you in the same way that Utah State did and they are begging you to run the ball, sure, maybe some series you're going, hurry up, but let's say your defense just had a really long drive where they got – they got uh you know they they were out there for a while and they're seeming like they need a breather well for that drive then if Florida's allowing you to run the ball if you're running yeah. the ball well then do go with a slower operation in between plays i guess so at the end of the day the biggest takeaway is simply that they proved that if they want to slow down the operation they that they can and um, the question is, though, because they had a lot of rushing success and a lot of people say, oh, well, now they proved that they can run the ball effectively. Um, is that true? Like, like, okay. can that carry over, though? Because that's the main question. Can that carry over from Utah State to SEC play? Because still the run blocking was not great. It yeah. was it, it it was better, but it's still. I mean, Edwards Elair still had to create a lot, as did Emory and Davis Price. And man, they look yeah. Credit to the running backs. They look really blind. good. Yeah. Uh, Emory had one cut where it was like you get the one where he cuts up. The one where he cut out and then yes. in. Yes, that was yes. I mean, I nice. watched it like seven or eight times in a row. He's super talented, but then like it's fascinating because yeah, he has so much upside, and I think by next year he will be a star. But like Davis Price, though, he knows how to take the yards that are there. Emory yep. gets in trouble when he tries to make too much. You saw with the fumble. Yep. You see it with some losses. Davis Price them, and he can take exactly what's there and make an extra three yards out of it because he's hard to bring down. And Elair's the best of him right now, but he also is running into a bit of uh, fumbling issues. Yeah, two um, games in a row. Two quarters is, in a row, really. And that freaks out coaches. Uh, the quickest way to a bench as a running back, and you saw that Emory did not play again um, after that despite having some night. Right, he didn't go back in the game after that fumble, if I'm if, if I'm remembering so. correctly. Um and so and that's the, one of O's like biggest things. Like yeah. he's obsessive over carrying the ball and like controlling. And it was the same way with Coach Miles. Okay, um, yeah. Every coach that I've had in my life, it's been the same way. If you fumble, you go to the bench, unless you're just like an absolute, absolute monster. Unless okay. you're like unimpeachable. And nobody in this group is unimpeachable. Though I think Edwards Elair is the best. Um, so I mean that that that's a big question to me. If if Florida dares you to run the ball, uh, can you run block well enough to do so? To, to light like you did against Utah State. And on that, I'm still not 100% sure. Definitely not 100% sure. I think, like, you know, it's all relative. So I think, do I think LSU can ever be, like, a dominant rushing offense against SEC's team? No, but if they're giving it to you, I think they're just good enough to probably, like, take the advantage if they're playing them like Utah State did. You know, like, they might not be great, but I think they would still probably win if you're only putting six in the box. I don't know. How did you... um? How do, I mean, you should. You should, right? If you have six in the box, like those are battles that you 
theoretically should win. How do you um how, how did you interpret the defensive performance? Cuz I mean a dominant performance. It's a good Utah State offense. We all know that Jordan Love was good. You end up with three interceptions. Um you had some nice pass rush moments. You handled the tempo well. Uh the three interceptions went to three guys that you love to see it, right? Kerry yeah. Vincent get a little get a little confidence going forward, answer some of the uh the critiques Grant Delpit gets on the board and then Derek Stingley just continues that was- to do Unreal. Incredible Derek Stingley. He made it look so easy, too, as a thing. It's not that easy to play cornerback. It's actually the hardest position on a football field, and he makes it look like it's just as simple as running with a guy and then jumping up and mossing him for the for the pick. I mean, it, it was it was. It's great. just crazy because literally five day, three days before that game, his dad was saying to me, like, the biggest step he still needs to take is that, like, he is perfect in defense, right? He knows how to stop anyone from making a catch. He is like a machine. But the biggest thing he needs to take a leap with is he needs to fit, just get that confidence to actually – because he is better than everybody. Yeah. To make that to make the play, you know, mm. not just defend play, not just stop plays, but make plays, you know, jump that route, make that catch, be confident enough to not just worry about slapping it down. And then the next game, you see him make a just holy crap catch. Yeah, so all of a sudden now, Derek Singley has two picks. I mean, look out, dude. He is He's leading the SC in pass breakups, has two picks. And it's like four <laughs> dropped ones. <laughs> he is unbelievable. Um, um, but anyway, what we, we, so okay, so the, so yeah, sorry. so okay, so the overall takeaway, like, uh, what, what, what do you think about with the defense? Did they answer some of the questions that you had coming in? I think what I was most impressed with was how good. Now it was not a good Utah State offensive line. Start there, but. That front four looked really impressive to me. Caleb on Chason was back. That matters. Yep. But Neil Farrell, he's looked good the Neil whole Farrell t- a great He's game. looked good all year, but yeah. Saturday he just looked, he was manhandling that offensive line, just throwing guys aside. He had a nice swim move. He had a nice rip move. I mean, he was doing everything. And he looked really good, and now he's probably your fifth defensive lineman in the, in the, in the long run when guys get healthy. Uh, Tyler Shelvin continues to just be a rock in the middle, and he's going to be important for the Florida game, in my opinion. Yep. So I think I was most impressed by how that front four looked when you still don't have Rashard Lawrence and Glenn Logan. But then my second takeaway is just what I saw from tackling. I mean, Grant Dolph, it was like looking good in one-on-ones again. Patrick Queen had the game of his life, and he just he's so fast. He's so effective on screens. So I think tackling in the pass rush are what stood out to me. Uh, definitely tackling that jumped off the field to me. You can tell that they really focus on during the bye week. That was vastly improved, and not just like one guy tackling, but or not just the first guy to get there tackling, but like group tackling. Yeah. Everybody Everyone's running there. to the ball, and and I heard that Fahoko kind of got in their ass maybe yeah. a little bit at practice. Your boy wrote about it. Uh, okay, that's where I read it. I couldn't <laughs> remember if that's where I read it or not. Advocate wrote it too. But um, but but yeah. So so okay. So then tell the story. So what yeah. so what what did Fahoko do? So Thursday's practice, I mean, so at that point, you know, they've been dealing with four weeks of constant people on their ass, and, you know, and apparently they're doing an unpadded practice, and the freshman running backs are still just, like, running through them, and, and Braden Fahoko, and you never know, like, you know, you as a player, sometimes you, like, roll your eyes at, like, did that actually matter? You know, did that actually do anything? But Caleb on Chason is the one who brought this up as a yeah. big moment, and he was, and Braden Fahoko just kind of stopped them at practice and just started tearing into the defense and kind of... Gave this big route about you know about like stop being like the guy who wants to get the hit and the cool hit and all that and actually yeah it sounded like LSU defense had a little bit of superstar syndrome yep. sneaking in and Fahoko was kind of trying to fight back against that yeah because I think you saw with some of Delpit's missed tackles this year and a few other guys where guys are trying to make this cool superstar hit like you said and and I think he was just like take pride this is LSU like you Patrick and he kind of went player by player it sounds like and was like you know Grant Delpit you're the best safety in the country Jacob Phillips you're the hardest hitter in the SEC Patrick Queen you're the fastest linebacker you know like like take pride in what we're doing and actually just like everyone go to the ball and they all talked about I think the difference was want to and a lot of that you and I have talked at length about is that maybe these game this stretch of games they don't care about took a toll you know I yeah, think there was yeah, just a yeah, lot yeah. of games. Where, out. Like they're they're going to be uh, just naturally more focused for this week than they have been of the weeks past. So I think they've kind of come to a solution there, and, and it was noticeable. And, I, and obviously, I think rest is the third factor here that matters a lot. I think that genuinely made a difference. But yeah, the defense just seemed to be attacking the ball better. I would say this: uh, I think it's easy to get cynical about stuff like the Hoko speech and be like, "Well, did yeah. it actually matter? Did I it actually have an impact?" Yeah. Um. And no, I mean, look, there is a reason why leaders are so important in sports. There are a reason, like, there are a reason why coaches chew your ass out. Like, sometimes uh, there, there's a reason why. What is the first step to recovering from alcoholism? Admitting that you have a problem, 
right? Like you need you need sometimes to to engage with your like the only way to fix a flaw is to accept it, identify it, and then squash it. So it sounded like they needed Fajoko to get on that ass a little bit. A little and bit. and I saw a better I, I saw a better team defense, certainly 100%. on Saturday. And one group, man, the linebacking crew, it looks like they're really starting to find it. So Patrick Queen's a monster. Jacob Phillips and Patrick Queen, they're your two guys in the middle, I think, clearly now, right? Davini's back on the edge, which is But is he? I, I think so. I mean they've been talking about him on the edge, haven't they? I mean Ogeron is so his practice yesterday the, yeah. was consistently talking about him pass rushing. No, so what happens with him? That's fascinating. So it was a hell of a waste if he ends up back on the edge to have him. Because I agree. Because you and I had doubts before the season about just how fluid of an inside linebacker he could be. Well, just, I just I just accepted it because the coaches were so high. So on I know, him. they were. Like I had questions, he, but then because they kept bragging on him, I backed off my questions. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And Phillips and Queen are definitely just more fluid inside linebackers. And Michael Davini is a a very solid outside linebacker. But they don't play two outside linebackers. So what happens? Does this mean that Jacoby Stevens get now? Now one could argue with this safety depth that they're losing. Maybe you play Jacoby more as a traditional safety, and you let them play two outside linebackers. I don't mm. know. I'm just spitballing. That could actually make a lot of sense against a team like Florida. But yeah, I just don't know. I, you might be marginalizing one of your five or six better defensive players by by putting them there. But at the same time, I completely agree. I don't know if he's a true inside linebacker. He's Michael Divinity, though, one of your five or six best defensive players. Let's go through it. I mean, either way, that's – I mean, it's – It's we're super nit- subjective. We're nit- yeah, we're nitpicking anyway, but I just, he's a good player. That's all I mean. But, yeah. I mean, let's go but through no, it. But I'm saying, like, is he better than – he's not better than Patrick Queen or Jacob Phillips at inside linebacker right now. I wouldn't think so. Right? No, but, he's, I mean, but it sounds like he's the best, like, communicator and, like, kind of leader in that sense. That matters. That's fair. That is why they – that is that's why the he kind of got their it. job yeah. originally. Um, also, very important for us to note, we have zero, we have like one half of sample size, or maybe like one game's worth of sample size of what he looks like. You know what, that's fair, so maybe we don't even go down this I road. Just, but then you're right, they, they've been practicing more at the outside, and now he's he's missed time for suspensions. No, it sounds he's like they are, it, injuries. It, it sounds like he is in line to just be on the pass rush package, like yeah. for sure that that's going to be his main contribution this next game. Uh, maybe they put it back in the middle. I, I would be I a little surprised. Know. But I think you're going to see who, who'd they mention on the – this is going to have Calevon and Divinity on the two edges. I saw Damone Clark – And they've always done that for what it's worth. Uh, yeah, that's true. Third down, he's always been outside again. I saw Damone Clark working at some outside Damone and Jack, Jacob Phillips both did. Uh, oh, I didn't I didn't notice Phillips. Yeah, for the past few weeks, you've seen them kind of, no, not like full-time, but they practice with the outside linebackers during a lot of individual drills now. Well, even in the game, though, last week, Damone was that outside linebacker okay. for a few plays. Okay. Um, didn't do anything special, but, but, I mean, he lined up there. It seems like they're still trying to... It seems like they're still trying to nail down that spot. It's kind of been a rotating cast of characters. Like, who all have we seen opposite of Caleb on Chasson so far? You've seen... Marcel Brooks yep. at times you've seen yeah you've seen Damone Clark you've seen Michael Divinity I mean Andre Anthony and Ray Thornton have both had different amounts of time you know over, but I don't think they really want them in games often um there's someone else I feel well oh, oh Jacoby Stevens is, yes for the most part he is the starter opposite him just technically as a safety linebacker hybrid so yeah I mean they've tried a lot of things I don't know because they well and then Grant Elpit's also done that and that's Ed Ogeron admitted that sat. Oh, this is actually worth discussing. So Ed Ogeron admitted Monday that they do want to get Grant Delpit toward the line more. Saw a little bit of it last game. Yes, and you, there was one third and ten pass rush I have saved on my computer right now where they they went with some stunts with Delpit and it was one of their best pass rushes of the game. Yeah, they ran a little a uh, little like uh, like a little like gut cross where. You normally have your two inside linebackers go opposite sides of the center, but then they did it with Delpit coming from like the. I'm trying to yes. remember exactly in my head. Delpit coming from the outside. Either way, it was it was very creative, and it was obvious that they were trying to get Delpit involved directly in the rush. So it becomes that's I think Grant Delpit. I even wrote this in July, but I really think it's more true now than ever with the safety issues, depth I should say issues. Is that Grant Delpit is such a tricky player to figure out how to play because. For as much uh, the missed tackling is one thing to complain about, but you've also just seen a lot of complaining from people, fans, but like that Grant Delpit's not making the impact that he was last year. He's not making all those plays. There's a very obvious reason for that. The first six games last season, he played truly in the box. He played what Jacoby Stevens is doing yeah. now. He was an outside linebacker by all, if we're being really honest. And he had five picks, five interceptions, and he was off I mean, five sacks, five interceptions, and he was incredible. He impacted games like very few safeties I've ever seen. Yeah, and the last year basically. He's been 
playing in the post. He's been playing as a deep safety. He's not going to. What 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 what, what led to the change last season? John Battle going down. Okay, it was Battle. That, okay, so Battle went down. Saying, that they is had the main thing that you just don't have John Battle back there anymore. Yes. That's why you have to have Grant Delpit. So back now there. it's like, yeah, and Todd Harris was going to be the guy who frees you up to sometimes play him down more, and now you're losing another safe. Now you lost him, and you lose Keenan Jones. Well, and now you lost Cardell Flott, so he, he, even so yes. then you can't move Kerry Vincent because you could maybe move. You maybe could have moved Vincent back there if you wanted to free 100%. up Delpit to put in the box, but now it looks like Vincent has to go back to slot, so it's and just, you'll have Fulton back on the outside. It's just picking your battles, and it's not like Jacoby Stevens of the Worlds are incapable of being back there, but you're trying to figure out your best 11, right? So it's like, is it more valuable to have him be a superstar on the edge and have Stevens just be a slight liability back there, or is it better to just have Stevens in his best spot and Delpit be your best cover guy? It's just it's a tricky question, and, and Ogeron admitted they Monday they do want to get him to the line more. One play, and this is just one play that I'm going to form maybe a larger opinion about, which is just poor yeah. logic to begin with. <laughs> but um, there was one play that was a drop touchdown by Utah State where you saw Grant Delpit thinking he was going to get a pick. It was a little post route, and he over-pursues it. And if the guy had caught the ball, I mean, Delpit is in no position to make the play. And the only reason I bring that up is because it's in line with what we were talking about. He was obviously trying to make the big play. He wants to impact the game, and that was a moment where – in that effort, he kind of let go of his normal responsibilities. And to me, maybe that leans into, okay, maybe you do accept a little more risk on the backside and let him get a little more involved and let him try yeah. to impact the game a little more directly if he's already going to be opening up that risk just even with him back there. Or maybe they, think, a, the, maybe they think the drop-off from him, though, is even worse and, even, <laughs> and not even yeah. worth it. No, it's a really good point. I think it's a, it's a worth thing to discuss because – I mean, he's admitted it. I think he said the, the, the term he used a lot is I've been thinking too much on a lot of these plays where I'm doing, but I think that's probably code for trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think it's and, – and it's like we're saying I don't know if – as much as we talk at length about how Jacoby Stevens isn't, you know, someone you trust back there in coverage, and by no means do I think that's going to be like his fate in the NFL as a great coverage guy. But it's not like he's some disaster back there. Yeah, exactly. He's made improvements. Exactly. Yeah. He had one or two really nice plays in coverage, actually, on Saturday against Utah State. He, had he almost had another awesome pick. He had a great breakdown. Yeah, he almost had a pick, and then he had one play where he was trailing a receiver and knocked it down. He looked good. Do I, like, again, do I think that's a strength? No. He is, he's had some issues. Texas beat him up a good amount. But it's not like it's some crazy liability. I think you have to have a balance. And it's something Dave Aranda, I think, stresses about. He talked about it this summer, is that it is tough with Grant to figure out what he what you want to do with him because he does everything so well. And it's a good problem to have. It's, just, it's more just highlights kind of... I'm not saying this is somebody... like I'm not saying this in a route for LSU way. I'm saying this is a football nerd way. It almost is just realizes how much of a shame it is that their safety depth is so low because I would have loved to see... Well, it's just what the Dave ultimate irony because the whole story on the safety group is that you had unlimited safeties um, for, for the entire year. I mean, you like that was the last concern when it came to depth. But uh, football is a funny game in that way. It's still, I guess, it's not bad when you have Jacoby Stevens and Grandel, but as your safeties, and not, <laughs> like yeah. maybe bad safety. And now you feel really good about your linebacker depth. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's... And and you felt terrible about that. I mean, dude, Patrick Queen, what a game for Patrick Queen against Utah State. He was everywhere. I mean, yeah, I was actually, it's funny, the Florida reporter, Will Salmon for The Athletic, he was watching the game yesterday and he just texted me and he's just like, and this is without us talking about it, he was just like, oh my God, Patrick Queen looks incredible. Like, it was it's just an outside perspective of just he looked all over the place. It's true, like like eyeballs that aren't used to watching LSU week in and week out. And his, to be, f- he has one thing that he does off the charts well. It, you know, he's not the run stuffer of a of a Jacob Phillips, for example. Yeah. But him in open space, like he caught. I found I counted at least three screens in one game where he caught the screen, chased the guy down. He's a former Livonia running back, and he's just so good at catching that. You better guy. take the right. Yeah, you better take the right angle. If you, so, when you're on a if you're a little lineman on a screen and you're one of the guys that's like. Like they tell you when you're blocking that 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 I say play side linebacker whatever I'm just gonna paint very broad brush here. Uh, you have to head completely horizontal to the line okay. for that timing to match up, right? And I saw a couple guys last game where they take that one step up, and that's all the uh, that, that 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 that's all the like bad angle that Patrick Queen then needed okay. to just blow right by them, and because he, he's just faster than than they were expecting. At yeah. least Utah State, we was. Also, how'd you how'd you get Will? I thought. I thought he'd be swimming upstream at this time of year and going to spawn babies. I don't get the joke. What's his last name? Salmon. Yeah. 
What do you say, Nice. Hey, yeah, my it's bad. It's a different upstream. story. But it's a good joke. They swim upstream. I'm sorry, man. It was a good joke. Spawn babies. Hey, that's on me. Uh, that's on me. Uh, I actually don't know if this is salmon mating season, to be completely yeah, clear. Yeah, I'm not too familiar. Um, so Patrick Queen was, he was one of the big winners. And it wasn't even just the three screens. He also caught a check down. He caught up to that. You know, that's not technically a screen, but man, him just catching up on the outside. He, yeah, he's challenged you. Jacob Phillips is going to be your bulwark up the middle. Yep. And Patrick Queen is now proving that he's going to stop you from attacking the edge. And that's what's fun about this inside linebacker group. And it's not new. We discussed this back in August. But what's so fun about that group, and say hypothetically, Divinity still plays there some, you have four different guys who just do four different things very well. Yeah. So it's it goes back to that whole thing of like, not positionless football, but just like all these different chess pieces he can play with. You have your hard hitter, physical beast, and and Jacob Phillips. You have your your speedster and Patrick Queen who can play outside and inside. Michael Divinity is your best pass rusher of that group, and also your best communicator. And then and then you have to Mo Clark, who's also you know a little more raw, but he's probably the best overall physical specimen. So it's just he you looks have, like a freak. He's a freak. So you have all these things to play with. It's a it's a really interesting thing to look at. Okay, so do you have anything else on Utah State? Nothing. Let's move on. Um, okay, how Ed, Ed Ingram looked good. We saw him in the second half. He but didn't start he barely, for some reason. I don't, I have, uh, do you, did you see enough of him to even have a take? Uh, I, well, I yes. saw him bulldoze one guy. The only thing I would say is... Uh, he only played, what, three drives? Uh, I thought he played the whole second half. Maybe not the whole. Maybe maybe once the subs came in. I don't think he played the whole second I think I think, no, I'd have to double check. I'm pretty sure he started uh, the second half and right. played the entire time. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I'm not sure. Um, maybe we can look it up somehow. Oh, but okay, but 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 the point was, uh, you can tell he's just a bit different, and I mean that in a good way. Yes. When you see him move, and you see his size, um, there are certain guys that if you watch enough of a line play, they just jump off the screen a little bit, and he's one of those guys. Like he's got a low center of gravity. He he's not. I was a very topsy turvy player. I get that feeling a bit with Adrian and a bit with Dare, where you're a little over your skis, you're a little top heavy, maybe a little off balance. Yeah, I was. I was like I said, I'm not even hating because I was like that too. Uh, The great O linemen are the ones where you almost feel like they're rooted in the earth a bit, and 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 that's the feeling that I got in watching Ingram. Whether it's stopping a bull rush, working up the next level, he's got really good body control for how big he is. So I think he's gonna be damn good. Um, (laughs) It was interesting to me. It sounded like Ogeron basically said that Ensminger made the call for McGee to start. Yes, right, because it it sounded like Ogeron was maybe higher on. on Ingram and that Ensminger came in and said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna start McGee." You you wonder how much of that's just like you know, Ed. One of his things about him is you know he's a recruiter and he loves he loves upside. You know, like that probably comes from his recruiting background. He loves the his guy. You know, yeah. So I think that's probably him just like falling in love with Ingram's potential. While Steve sometimes is a little as much as we call him slinger, sometimes a little more careful about things. It's fair. So I think sometimes he's just like, yeah. At the end of the day, I probably just like trust him a bit more. But man, just back to what you're saying there. Well, you know, we always talk about like pancakes as an amazing block with an offensive lineman. Some of my favorite that I saw was like he would get low, and the guy would just bounce three feet back. It wasn't like he drove him. Oh yeah, the no, guy no, just he's bounced explosive. three feet back. And he's I'm like, explosive. I don't think I've seen he's that. big. His like I said, I just keep going back to his body control. It reminds me of when Trey Turner showed up at LSU. He was so fat and so out of shape and such just a. During that summer, he struggled so badly, and we didn't know if he was going to be good or not. And then I will never forget the first day that we were in camp and that we were watching the threes reps or the fours reps, whatever they were, like the new guy reps. I was like, oh, shit. Like, I get it. Like, you could just see it, how he moved, his low center of gravity, that same thing kind of rooted in the earth, and he has gone on to be an unreal NFL player. I, I see the same things yeah. out of um, out of Ed Ingram. Okay, so that Florida. is it. that is it for the uh, for the Florida game. Uh, or excuse me for the Utah State game. Now let's get it. Now let's get into the Florida game, and I want to start here because start. we started. We talked a lot about defense, and within our defensive conversation just now, a lot of times you're referencing um, the tools that he has to play with. That he is Dave Aranda, right? Yes. That is the wizard, the professor, blah blah, yeah. whatever you want to say. He has all the talent. He has all the tools. He has multiple first-round draft picks on this defense. Well, is the most exciting battle this week Dave Aranda versus Dan Mullen? Or maybe does Dave Aranda have the most to prove? Because the accepted narrative is that Dan Mullen has whooped Dave Aranda's ass for a couple years running now. Um, well, that's, it's such a fun weekend for, for storylines because of that. You have the Dan versus Dave, and then you have the Joe Brady, Steve Ensminger versus Todd Grantham. Because, I mean – 
in a pure, pure football perspective, the best storyline is probably Brady versus Grantham because Florida has probably the number one defense in the country right now, and LSU has the number one or two offense in the country right now. So that's probably the most fun one. You have this journey, like this. Yes, veteran, no, no, you no, have definitely. the veteran of Grantham versus the newcomer of Brady, but until five weeks ago, I absolutely would have said Dan Mullen versus Dave Aranda is an incredible storyline because. What's, what has Dave Randa talked about most this offseason, or even actually back in the winter, he's, in the two times we talked to him, he said one of the things he's had to learn is to adjust more. You know, He used to be somebody who really believed in that Big Ten style of, this is what we do, these are our staples, and we're going to beat you with our staples. I dare you to beat us. Yeah. And I think he learned from two coaches that he can't do that anymore. I think it's from the SEC experience overall, but Dan Mullen and Jimbo Fisher, what they've done to, to Dave Randa, he's talked about before at length, is it's made him realize, I need more... I need more wrinkles in my defense. I need an adjustment to everything an offense does. I need to adjust to this situation and this situation and not just be set in my ways. And I think Dan Mullen, the way he whooped him 37-7 to two years ago in Starkville when he was in Mississippi State, and then the way that last year wasn't a shootout, but it's not like he dominated him, but that Florida offense was not as good as LSU's defense no. last year. And Dan Mullen on two drives just – it was they were works of art. There was a third and seven QB power that came out oh. of nowhere. There was the random speed option started hitting them with. And he runs that great count. He runs that great zone read speed option where, and you saw it last game too, the quarterback holds that. We've all gotten so used to seeing the zone read where the quarterback holds the ball out, the running back runs across him, and he reads the backside defensive end. So they do this play where, the, where, where Trask does that, and everybody just freezes, but the offensive line blocks let's say to the left like they're like they're running zone left and then they option it to the right and yep. and because we've been so trained once we see that read option movement like our brains automatically fill in the gaps he's taking full advantage of that yeah he, he's a master of figuring out you know Ed actually talked about this Monday but I like Dan Mullen's my favorite offensive coach to watch in football because <sighs> it's not I know it's I know this says a lot about me hey it's a line play thing no too. no look man he's a great offensive coach but he's, I love just I just love his style because it's not like your shoot it out Lincoln Riley you know Joe Brady style it's this like it's so efficient but yeah. so methodical and he knows how to see how you're lined up and just go exactly in the space of your defense where you're not and it's just so beautiful because it's like a power spread, and it's just I love watching it. It is. I think methodical is a great word. I I, I keep going back to the words um, manufacture and manipulation because if you look at what he is doing, he did this with Franks. I feel like he's doing it even to a further extent with Trask. He is, and you saw this out of both Malzahn and Mullen last game. Those were two guys that were desperately trying to control as much of the game as they yep. could. They were trying to take as much decision. The two best at it. And they're great at it. But they mm. were trying to take all the decision-making out of their quarterback's yeah. hands and put it into their own. And that, to me, why arguably the bigger matchup is Mullen versus Aranda than Brady Ensminger versus Grantham because Brady Ensminger versus Grantham, there's a third piece there. There's Burrow. And they give Burrow a lot of leeway to make decisions. And absolutely, they're putting they want to put him in spots with easy reads. That's what any coach wants to do. But Burrow's going to be able to make a lot of those calls after the ball is snapped. A lot of the decisions for Trask are almost going to be made pre-snap. Absolutely. And so it is directly going to be Dan Mullen's vision against Dave Aranda's vision. And and if Dan Mullen can pull that off again against this defense, which has all that talent, like Florida's offensive line is not good. Um, Kyle Trask is okay. Uh, they definitely have some fast skill guys, but but like, w- would you? What what do you think was? So you said last year Florida's offense wasn't as good as LSU def- uh, defense. Is that gap bigger this year? I don't know. Wait, repeat the question. So I so you said last year Florida's offense was not as good as LSU's defense. I think yes. that's once again true this year. Yes. Um, is that gap has that gap grown larger? Um I don't think so because I mean, just based off everything we've seen this year, the LSU defense is actually taking a step back. I mean, granted, I think they proved last week they might be back on track, but if you're just looking at everything, I would argue LSU's defense is worse than last year. So um I think this feel weird to say, but I mean, I guess yeah, you lose Devin White, Greedy Williams, not that and hard. To it's understand. funny because as much as we talk about you know them working with their you know their third string quarter, second string quarterback, and all the injuries and all that stuff, it's not like this offense is bad. You know, like they are a really good running game. They got, I mean, Kyle Trask has been sneaky if really effective. I don't know. I 
Here's where it gets a bit I'd odd. Say it's and then this and this is where it's odd. Sorry, for, I don't have a great answer. No, no, no. I mean, no, that's the answer I wanted. I don't want you to bullshit a a a fake answer just because yeah. you want to have an opinion either way. I like, no, like one, yeah. I think that's the correct answer. I that's why I asked it, right? Yeah. Um uh here he, he this is one problem also that we should almost preface all of this with is a lot of these assumptions it's so hard to make because the two teams really haven't played anybody. Yeah. I mean, LSU has the one Texas game to draw from that is impressive. Um, and, and Florida has the Auburn game, which is impressive. But, like, the offense for Florida wasn't particularly great in that game. Um, can LSU affect Florida in the same ways that Auburn did? I don't know. And that's where it comes down to defensive line. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Caleb on Chasson. And this Absolutely. is, like we said, this is a trenches game. Um, and, and defensively, Calevon, he has been celebrated for years. He's kind of been anointed as his top-level pass rusher. He was better against Texas than people give him credit for. Agreed. On, on um, second, third watch, I did realize that. Yeah, yeah. He, he was way better in that game than people give him credit for. Also, he's going against another huge NFL guy in Cosme. I mean, that's yeah. a All-American left tackle. There ain't going to be no All-American left tackle this game. Um, You have a quarterback in trash that... Yeah, I mean, like I said, Mullen's going to scheme up a lot of things for him to get rid of the ball quickly, but he's also – I don't know if they're going to be super intimidated by LSU's pass rush. Like, I, I guess I guess it remains to be seen. Like, I think he's going to take his shots. It's not going to be a game where Trask is getting rid of the ball uh, uber quick every single time. My, my point is, Calevon is going to have ample opportunity to really affect this game, and if he wants to – uh, fulfill the potential, or if he wants to make everybody right that has anointed him, like what better setting than college game day, prime time, Tiger Stadium, top 10 matchup, all the NFL scouts tuned in, millions of people tuned in. If you want to be the man, this is the setting with which you have to be the man. And look at how much, who is the number six from Auburn? It just dominated. Uh, I'm blanking that, on his name. Is that Derek Brown? Uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, he had the he had the two fumble recoveries. He had a sag. Well, he had a first fumble. Yeah, Either one, right? Okay. I did like how Coach O was like, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> they uh, have three first round. Picks. Yeah, exactly. He's like, it's a it's a Clemson thing from Alabama. Like they laid out the blueprint for being in Alabama. Yeah, get three first round picks yeah. on the defensive line. So so okay. So that Auburn team has that, and they did a very good job of affecting that Florida offense. I guess I wonder if LSU can do the same, and and I don't feel like they can. But if they're going to. Caleb on Chasson has to be the one to step up and make it happen. Yeah, they can't do it as well as Auburn did, but they also probably have you know a better. I don't know. Do you think that? I think they have a better secondary. I don't know if they have a better. I think they have a better Auburn, secondary. Dude, Auburn's whole front seven just kind of viewed as yes. probably the best in the country. Um, and I, I think Caleb on probably from a pure talent perspective, you know, like I like Auburn's defensive tackles and ends better, but I think LSU might have a better, you know, just like true old school pass rusher. So that, so that's where Caleb has to prove it. Though. And he does. You're absolutely right. I, I mean, because like we keep, we keep we having keep these conversations these, about him hypotheticals, yeah. and we keep giving him credit, but we just have not seen it. Yeah. And, and it's not always fair because it's not. he had an ACL injury. And so that held him out for a year and he's missed game this year's due to injury. But 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 like but it it just becomes so weird to rely on a guy that you have not been able to rely on, and that's what they're kind of doing. They're relying on him to be that disruptive force. So, and the last thing I'd say, just to give him the the slight benefit of the doubt, even though I agree with you overall, is that they have. It is bizarre how LSU has yet to face a power oriented football team that takes a little more time in the pocket. For example, it's bizarre how every offense they've faced has been a very tempo we get the ball out fast offense yeah. it's been texas which is one of the best in the country at it it's northwestern state credit to that quarterback yeah they're going that down that they, road they're they, going down that road they, and they're, then, they're new and to then, it but they're doing and then it. vandy and utah state they've yet to face a single one of those you know powery teams yeah so it's almost worth wondering else you might actually i don't want to get like get ahead of myself but you almost wonder if else you might actually be better suited for this kind of game i do not think they might are the best suited for those up-tempo fast yeah, it's not a bad point because it does not look like caleb like, hasn't uh, had time to truly rush a passer that yes and as we said he'll have way more time against Trask company um they're maybe not as able to affect the slot as much as some of these spread offense teams, so I think that works into LSU's yep. favor. Here's my deal. I wonder if Florida's going to come out and try to power LSU like they did last season, and that's where, if I'm on this defense, and we'll get to this when we talk about the offense as well, but 
the defense has got to have pride. They've got to remember last year how they kind of got pushed around and beat up by the end of that game. Um, Jacob Phillips, you had to miss last year's game, and you're missing it was probably the reason why LSU actually ended up losing. I forgot about I think it's a fair argument. Like, when you look at Baskerville, he did fine, uh, especially for a freshman. What a terrible spot to be put in. But he missed tackles that Jacob Phillips makes. And when you look at what led to Florida being successful, which was running the ball last season, um, yeah, this is a revenge game for that defense. You, you got, you, you kind of got – I guess the worst part about it is it wasn't like it was gluttonous success because it wasn't at all. Uh, but they beat you up. Like, like they kind of just beat your ass like in a fist fight yeah. a little bit. And that's a terrible feeling when you pride yourself on being a badass. When you look at last season, I think that's the only loss that stands out as one that like probably really stings. Bama, that was ugly, but like everything about that was kind of explicable. You know, yeah. It was very much like Bama's a superpower. And the A&M game, I don't think you can get mad at yourself for losing that. That was just an all-time shootout where you lost at the end of the day. But I don't think there's anything about that game you point to and you're like embarrassed about the Florida game, you just point to every single area. The defense, the run defense, the Joe Burrow throwing his first interception that didn't lose him the game but finalized it. The offensive line, that is the one you point to as the all-time embarrassment game. Yeah. So I think I think the revenge game, and that's it can be a corny way of viewing it, but it is true that this is kind of no, but it's the true, number. Man. It's the game where you have the most to answer for. And I'm, I think we well, can jump to the other side of the ball now. I think the thing yeah, let's go. I'm most fascinated about is God, I'm just so fascinated about how Florida's going to play LSU because Todd Grantham has a reputation for his whole career as like the mad, just aggressive. I'll, I'll never forget being I, when I was at the Clarion Ledger covering the Mississippi State Bama game in 2017, which one of the better football games I've been at. And it was fourth and one. Todd Grantham sends like nine people in, just fourth and one game on the line. Yeah. Mississippi State's right there, and Bama goes for like 60 yards over him. He's just the king of stunts. But he's changing this year, and I believe the athletics can have a big story on that this week. Uh, for, not for me, but from someone. Uh, and I think this year he's blitzing less. He's 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 such a good pass rush that he's going three four yeah, man he rushes. He realizes he has the four man rush to do it. He does it, and you love talking about this and about how the, you really can be great. You can stop the Tom Brady's when you can beat him with a three or four man rush. It's cliche at this point, but it's cliche because it's true. It's true. And but what he's great at, and so I think Todd Orlando was also great at, and had some effect against LSU is, and then when he does stunt, he's really good at disguising it and hiding it. So then all, then LSU's offensive line gets confused. So how does Grantham play LSU? Because if you send the if you send a rush, this offense is made to destroy that. Yeah, I mean, I thought, man, I I. In my opinion, it seems like it would be obvious, especially with some of the success that Utah State had in dropping into coverage. And I say success, I just mean that it was the most pass rush that we've seen allowed for LSU this year, and it seemed like it was because Utah State was dropping seven, sometimes eight guys, and guys are really having to extend their blocks. Um, To me, it seems obvious. You have four great rushers. Like, if I'm Florida, hang back and then pick and choose your spots to blitz. I've talked to people in that building, though, that seem to believe that they think that they're going to be blitzed from the time they hit the ground, and that would be crazy to me. I would be surprised. I would be I would be shocked as well. Um, but, but yeah, so like I said, if I'm Grantham, I think I'm hanging back, uh, prioritizing coverage, relying on my secondary that has really nice stats this year, although a lot of that ties just directly to the, court, to the rush, right? I mean, yes. pass rush and pass coverage are a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Um, but but so so I'm interested. They have to a good see, secondary though. Okay, so 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 if they do that, if they hang back and they only rush four, well then obviously that is where that's where the game's going to be decided. It, it's at the tackle position. It's Austin Deculus and it's Sadiq Charles. Yep. Um, because it will be their ability. Because at the same time, while while putting seven eight guys into coverage is great, if you can get a rush, if they block you. You're screwed because you cannot hold. Uh, you cannot hold. You, you can't guard receivers that long. Burrow can pick you apart. He can find holes. Um, so, so that's where we get to. I've never seen a game that is so obviously just going to be decided in the trenches. And it was last year. It's be. It, it was. It, it the 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 fact that LSU's tackles could not win a one on one to save their lives. Uh, caused the offense to completely fall apart last season. After that turnover, they retracted within themselves. Max protection everywhere. They still couldn't protect him. It led to a terrible chain of events. Can Austin Deculus and Sadiq Charles step up this time around? That that does decide the game. And, and I'm glad you brought up like Utah State. Didn't like you said 
They didn't have success, but I don't know. Utah State succeeded more against this offense than anyone all season because they forced a lot of third and longs. Yes. Like, more than anyone has been able to. LSU doesn't get in third down. If they do, it's third no, and manageable. That's true. <laughs> and they forced that first half especially, man. They forced a lot of third downs. Third now, and credit longs. to LSU for what they go, like 60-something percent 11, on those. Oh, Joe Burrow was 8 of 10 for 99 yards on third down. It was absurd. That 99-yard drive was the best example. He got like third and 9, third and 10, third and 14, and he kept just like threading needles, which was yeah. absurd. But the point being, Utah State had a lot of success dropping guys back, not sending a lot, and Joe Burrow, that's the only times I've ever seen him struggle is when guys drop everyone back in coverage. And everybody's like, why is he scrambling or why is he doing this? It's because like no one no was, was open. open. Yeah. And Georgia Southern, you even saw it once or twice. Georgia Southern did that, and Joe Burrow was confused. It didn't have anywhere to go. That is your only chance, not only chance, but that is your best chance, in my opinion, of stopping this offense that looks relatively unstoppable. And now, like you said, I'm just going to be repeating what you said, but it comes down to this is a different kind of front four for Florida. Can you just hold them off for a little bit? And that's where I hope that LSU doesn't do what I saw a little bit of last game. They did max protect a couple times, and it didn't work out at all. Yeah. Uh, at least when I saw it, like – when they would hold the tight end and hold the running back in, that was when the pressure came back once again. If you want to that's win Brady's those biggest thing. If you want to win those one on ones, get the ball out of your hand. That's that's the bottom line. Give them the options, get the ball out of your hand. Do not go back to max protect. I feel like last game they were almost experimenting with it, or I feel like they almost wanted to yeah. put it on film. I mean, definitely a couple times they were trying to set up a deep shot and it just didn't work out, but I just, especially after the success that we've seen early on with giving Burrow options, I don't want to see any max protect this game. Maybe one. I have heard some I'll people saying, one. like, I wonder how much the last game was just putting things on film that Florida has to account for, so like the run game partially, things definitely. like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you almost wonder how much of this game you miss Terrace Marshall. I think you know, I, I've, I'm not somebody who thinks that's a big picture worry about not having him for a few games, but this would be a game where you're like, man, having that big body. Fuck it. I mean, you want to have your best players. I mean, <laughs> right? And like, he is, he, you don't, as, as good as the receiving well, group is, you're super deep, but like, he is still a matchup nightmare. Exactly. For it's anybody. not like, it's not like you're sad that you don't have your third best receiver. No, you're fine. Like, they're fine in an overall sense. It's just they don't have anyone else quite like him. Yes. To do what he does. Body wise. Just, yeah. Stefan Sullivan's your only one, but he doesn't have some of just the natural receiving. He's gone through his own things right now. Yeah, he's gone too far. In fact, I would say he's gone tattoo far. Well played. That was good. Uh, even though that was actually probably a long time ago. Uh, yeah, that was back in the spring. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but it just came out. I know. No, no I'm glad you, it was a good. Go news. watch if you have, if you don't know what we're referencing. Go look up Stefan Sullivan on the reality show Tattoo Far. Wait, how far is Tattoo Far? I, I believe it's it. Yeah. And then, and then be depressed about the dystopian future that we currently operate in. Where It really did feel like a Black Mirror episode. Yes, reality television has reached, uh, that's a perfect, yes, reality television has reached Black Mirror levels of parody, only it's like actually the world that we live in. But, yeah, no, these are really, you know, the more we talk about- You will about, miss Terrace Marshall. And the more we talk about all this, the more I really do, you know, you start finding some concerns. And maybe I'm just, it goes back to nitpicking thing, but like- this Florida defense is pretty damn special. Like it's an all it's there's a crazy stat. They're number one in the country in red zone defense. I think it's like I want to say teams have scored like four touchdowns. And LSU is number one in the country, I'm guessing, in red zone offense. They I mean their red zone 26 offense. Twenty six touchdowns and thirty one appearances. Unreal. Hundred percent overall scoring. Jesus yeah. Christ. And that was one of their biggest issues last year. And Florida actually won a lot of crucial drives because of that. LSU quite often got yeah. to like the forty, the thirty, the twenty, and couldn't finish against uh, Florida. But that's maybe been the biggest thing that well, whatever, he's unlocked everything, but it's huge. The biggest thing that Brady's unlocked is how to find red zone success. And it almost seems like the the, the difference is he's not treating it like they're in the red zone. Zone. Exactly. Yeah. They're just attacking like it, he normally would, and just I don't know. Also, Burroughs got really good at scrambling in the red zone and like hitting those guys like late Extending in plays. plays. I think he's finding like, the three gaps touchdowns the like that. Yeah. Um, I think I think I think Justin Jefferson actually stole a touchdown he really from did. Jamar Chase, which is the second time this year we've seen somebody steal a touchdown. Last week in the red zone with that excellent diving catch. By the way, the catch by Jefferson, not that one, but the other the, diving the downfield one. one middle. Oh my goodness! Where he looked at his hands. It's like I would do the same thing. He was looking at his hands, like, "Oh my god, how incredible am I? Look at these things." It's like him and Jamar Chase are having like a weekly competition to see like who can make the play that just makes you like defy <laughs> physics. Like it really is amazing what those two are doing right now. Um, so we arrive at the age question right yeah. what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object i think a question that has stymied philosophers for years and years what happens 
I think at the end of the day, even with all this nitpicking, LSU's offense, if they can get the tempo they want, if they can attack. Um, also, one thing, where does LSU have its most success? I should have mentioned this earlier. Where does LSU have most success? Passing in the middle of the field. That's where they kill teams with their pass. And I and that's one of Florida, Not I wouldn't say weaknesses, but that's one of their lower strengths. Is their safeties aren't quite as, are quite as good. Their linebackers aren't necessarily great in coverage. Like LSU, you can pass in the middle of the field against them. I think they can have success there. If they open up the run game, I have enough confidence they can at least you know move the ball there. I think if LSU gets the tempo at once, it can control. I, I think I think all you have to do run wise is just prove that if they go six in the box, that you can make them pay. Yeah, right. Like like it's all you have to do. And I'm not talking about make them pay with like twenty yards. I'm talking about five yeah. yards. Get your five. Yeah. Get your five yards. Make it second and five, third and four, and that's really where you want to be. Like that's where you'll thrive uh, as an LSU offense. Where, yeah. What do you think? Um. I mean, okay, so I haven't uh, tomorrow. I think I'm going. I think I've managed to work my weasel my way into some Florida film. So tomorrow I'm planning on watching this defense a little more closely. Yeah. So I think I'll have a. Unfortunately, I'll have more fully fleshed out opinion tomorrow. Same actually. Um, but I still feel. Uh, I'll still side with the offense. I I I, I think we are underappreciating just how good this offense yeah. have been. Yes, they've been excellent against maybe subpar defenses or not elite defenses, uh, but but it's not like they, they just had success. They've had gluttonous success. They've had legitimately unparalleled success. When you look at the records that they have set, not just for LSU, but for the SEC, it's like, what, it's like the most points for an SEC team through X amount of games and everything? Um, okay, well, even if a very good defense causes them to take a bit of a step back, like what? What? So what? They're gonna score forty now? <laughs> Is that a fifty? Okay, they're gonna they're gonna score like 37, 38. I don't think Florida's hitting those numbers. That's the other thing. I really have a gut feeling right now that L is much talk. We're talking about this great matchup. I think on the other side, I kind of think LSU might be able to just shut Florida down. Look you, at Vegas. Yeah, you you, you don't have a, a healthy Kyle Trask. I'm not even like one thousand percent sure he's playing. Actually, no. Dan Mullen did say he was playing, but. You'd really wonder how his knee's doing. Shout out to Kyle Trask, man. Um, that was badass. Yeah, to, to go back in with a partially torn MCL, um, I've done that as well. Uh, nice. I know how painful that is, and uh, that, that's some ballsy shit. That's how you get your team, your O-line, like just your whole team like believing in you. My man's got it just taped up, maybe shot up, and went back out there. And good for him. I, I would have been so depressed for him. If after all this waiting, he finally gets his opportunity, he's killing it, and then an injury sidelines him for an extended period of time. But continue though. As yeah, I just have a gut feeling that I really think there might be something to this idea that like Florida's offense is something that LSU's defense is better suited to stop. You know, yeah. I can't imagine them winning. It's very many, fair. I can't imagine them winning winning many one on ones with their DBs. I can't imagine them. You know, I think Brishard Lawrence being back would matter quite a bit. I think yeah. if he's back, I feel actually pretty good about that. I like how those linebackers play against true run style. Well, that's the thing, right? It feels like if Florida, like how did Florida do it last year? It was Mullen's game plan, but it was really good O line play. This does not look like no. a Florida offensive line that can go out there and dominate LSU. They're one of the, you know, they're one of the weaker in the SEC at havoc allowed. You know, yeah. I mean, it's it's beatable. Um, that was kind of the storyline going into that game. Was you no know, last, last? I didn't week's realize game. LSU's defense was so high on havoc rate. Well, for all the. It, but Havoc is a combination of tackles for loss, picks, and uh, and fumbles. fumbles. So you had a three interception game, and you know, mm. like I think the Utah State game actually kind of probably elevated it. Quite so it's maybe a bit. not as much. Uh, which, which to be fair, that's not a complete vacuum. I mean, you, you had two against Vandy, you got three against Utah State. You had dropped ones earlier in the year. Like this is, you know, this is kind of who this LSU defense is becoming a bit. But but I get what you're saying. You're saying it's not as much like TFLs, like defensive line domination, well, as it is maybe some secondary They are 26 success. in the country in stuff rate right now. Okay. So that is, give a lot of credit. That Actually, is, to be fair, I mean, the rush defense, it's been awesome. They you, shut down you Texas. You shut down Georgia Southern. You shut down Texas running the ball. That's true. That's my Goal thing. Goal line stands. They've done really well in the box. They struggle mm. when they get... When, when it's that fast passing game in, in the middle of the field, and then also when tempo can have an effect on them. That's when they struggle. In the box, they've been winning. Yeah, I mean, look, so I guess this is the point where we mentioned that LSU did open as a 14-point favorite. Yeah. And now it's down to 13.5, and, and that's a lot of points. Um, 
But 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 it shows you that this LSU team, even though they haven't played the best competition, there are very smart people who. And really, I guess it's more because Vegas just keeps losing money on them because they yeah. keep. You're uh, still figuring out the ceiling. Yeah, you, like you see still, this in the NFL yeah. with the Patriots a lot, where you just re- in Alabama, where you just you can't figure out what the ceiling is. So you yes. just have to keep pushing until you find out. And so and so you could say, well, okay, maybe this is too extreme and it's but but I mean what? Like they're not they're not doing a seven point jump to figure out where the ceiling is, right? Yeah. Like maybe they juiced it up by like two, well, three. I'm a big believer. uh Bill Connolly's S P plus predictions haven't come out yet, but I'm a big believer in uh Colin Wilson's projections at the at Action Network. Yeah. He does some really good stuff and he has it at thirteen. His his rating's thirteen point difference right now. So wow. I mean, so I don't think this is just like El Vegas being like, I, here's I, what I think. I, I kind of wonder. I, I I think there is a bit of uh, a little bit of fatalism in the LSU fan base. I think that, um, or it's really just any fan base. I don't mean that specifically to LSU. Um, I think that as we've talked about on this show, when you're dealing with the championship team and you're nitpicking and you're kind of looking for things, um, issues can take on a greater significance than if you had an outside voice come in and look. They'd be like, wait, like. Yeah, what are y'all talking about? objectively like, much better. Yeah, yeah, like this is like this is you know this this is fine. That's true. So there's definitely an element of that at play. And then I think, look, I think that bottom line last year and how that defensive line whooped your ass offensively. What do you keep looking at? Are you are you okay? Is somebody coming to well, kill I you? The stone at one I know, point. You're like you're like and like, then ever since I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> um, but 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 I think I think there's a bit of a. Is a bit of a carryover effect from last season where you did feel like you were the better team then and you lost, uh, like we said, maybe the most disappointing game of the year. And because you got beat up and because the offensive line got its ass kicked and you still have some questions on this offensive line, so you're kind of wondering, okay, can they do it? And uh, I think they can, man. I, I, I do think that LSU's offense is different than anything Florida has faced this year. Yeah, and I think that it's going to be a real problem for them. And in the same way, I get that Florida's defense is better than anything that LSU has faced. Yes. But as I said, I think that LSU's—it's just such a how do you play him, right? How do you play him? Do you drop all these guys into coverage? Like if Burrow proves that if they do start dropping seven or eight, and you can block him, and then Burrow proves that he can pick apart the zone, pick apart the coverage, then they're done. I mean, then it's just you, you have no option because if you blitz Burrow, he's going to kill you. And if you see that, then you really think. Wow, this team actually can beat Bama. If they yeah. can do what, if they can keep this up against Florida's defense that is better than Alabama's right now, all of a sudden you're thinking like, wow, LSU actually might be able to beat Alabama. Um, but the other thing about you're saying like the fatalism, and I think all the other factor in that is like it's a combination of that, but also is there any t- if there's any team that can like just muddy the waters and just messy a game up, it's Florida. It's Dan Mullen. It's Todd a classic Dan Mullen thing. So like if anyone can, that's what that's what learning to win at Mississippi State will do for you. Absolutely. Like you are going to find he is so, scrappy ways to get wins. That. Yeah. So if there's, I think that's why this is a fun. Well, they turned the ball over four times against Auburn. <laughs> yep. They mean shit. It, he's great at it, and so I think that's really what makes that like so like. I mean, if I see 14 points in a Dan Mullen game, like historically, I will no matter what take 14 points with Dan Mullen because oh. he's just so good at narrowing margins, oh. like you said, Mississippi State. So, yeah, but at the same time, I think LSU is 14 points better. Um, hmm. <laughs> Big game for Cade York. Uh, just That's a really good point. Just because it's going to matter. It's going to be the first game this season and where that matters. Nobody's mentioned it. We looked a little sketchy at times on those extra points. I'm not saying that, that matters. Yeah, he missed one, didn't he? Yeah, he missed this one. Week, but, yeah. The one got blocked, and he kind of went in. There's been a few that have been like careening off course, yeah. but it's an extra point, so they it's went in. I mean, I'm not saying that, like it, he it missed the field it goal. It's a tough field goal. It's a long one. Yeah, but he missed it. Like, yeah, yeah. So he's so, not Cole Tracy, which no one is. Uh, big game for Cade York though, uh, because like I said, the stakes are going to be super high again. Um, Avery Atkins, you know, what you're going to get. I think Von Rosenberg, you know, what you you're generally gonna get. know, yeah. Stingley, Elair, whatever. Special teams, okay. I, I could see Stingley punt return mattering a lot this game. Uh, that's true. If you're going to get into a fist fight, field position always takes on greater importance. Because don't forget, Florida was the game they, uh, that was the take uh, Jonathan Giles' number seven away game. And I'm pretty oh, wow. sure there was also a muffed punt involved in that game by, I think, John Trey Kirkland. There was, like, you I saw, so. not that they, like, down, they lost the ball, but there was a lot of just, like, punt return looking It was brutal. a horror show yeah, last year. Yeah. It wasn't very good. Last thing I want to talk about, is the setting of Saturday yeah. because in my mind this is uh, premier college football. This is why college football is so great. This is um, and not just the physical setting, but the, the 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 stakes that are at play, championship stakes for LSU, for Florida, 
both undefeated, both teams' seasons on the line. And I get not mathematically, but every loss you suffer in college is a major blow to whatever your hopes may be. Now it helps a bit that they're West versus East. But like the same way that Texas, there's so much on the line that you kind of had a, if you're a big fan, you had like a pit in your stomach all day desperately wondering what was going to happen, that wonderful pre-tilt anxiety that the best sporting events bring out in you. Uh, That's all going to be there this Saturday, and it's going to be college game day. And thank God for CBS because it's going to be at 7 p.m. under the lights in Tiger Stadium, top 10 matchup. Two really good-looking squads. Uh, it it's just it's going to be a ton of fun. And and like I said, if, if any of these players out there, this is why you came to LSU. This is a stage that you wanted to be on when you're here at college. Now you have to go put your best foot forward. And the last thing I would say, Brody, is that uh, if you are going to the game and you're going to be in the crowd, I know the crowd's going to be absolutely fantastic. Um, obviously, but like Sean Payton kind of reinforces it a lot of time with Saints fans and kind of needles them through the week or challenges them. Uh, I would challenge all LSU fans to not be self-conscious and actively (laughs) think that you are a part of the game. I know that you could say that that's ridiculous, but I don't think that it is. I'm not talking about just cheering when it's appropriate. I'm talking about you having to think in your brain, okay, I need to put literal physical effort into how loud I am being and into how hard I am trying to make it. And I think if you have 100,000 people that can do that, I mean, if you look at Saints games, they put up the stats at every at every halftime, false starts, holding all these other things, you can have a real impact. And especially when you look at this Florida team, like Brody said, is an offensive style that's a little more grindy, a little more punchy, a little less explosive. Well, which is maybe a bit ironic because that's where all their success came from, where like two explosive plays last game. But the point being, false starts are a drive killer for this Florida offense. LSU's proven a crazy ability to overcome like sacks, holdings, false starts this year because that offense is just always gaining chunks. False starts will kill drives for Florida. And so every negative play that the crowd can kind of create, um, I, I think it goes even further this week than it does a lot of other weeks. No, I completely agree. And also, yeah, you got a quarterback who's only on his like third career start, I believe, or fourth career yeah. start. I mean, he's looked like he's a really composed dude, but still, it's. I mean, I mean where'd he go, though? I mean, right? I mean, yeah, he hasn't gone anywhere like this. It was like yeah. Tennessee. The big game was at home. Stepping into that Kentucky environment was rough. It was tough, yeah. It was tough, but for sure. This is going to be his first test like that. I, I think Death uh, Valley. I think that matters a lot. I mean, this is. I mean, when was the last major crazy LSU night game? Was it Bama? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like. I almost like like all things. I almost like looking at it outside. I of couldn't Bama. remember if Bama was night for some reason, but of no, course but it it's was. like I like looking at it like uh, outside of Bama, right? Because nice, bro. Excuse me. As we said, uh, I didn't know it was going to come out that loud. Um, as we said, it's it's. The Bama-LSU conversation almost exists independently of every other conversation. Like, if you look at LSU's record against top 10 teams not named Bama, isn't it like 7-0 and or 8-0 and the last yeah. like seven or eight games? It's bizarre, yeah. If you look at college game day record not named Bama, it's something like 17-5, and 12-5. Like, it's, it's wow. just, there's like really impressive numbers, and then everything just takes a hit when you add in uh, the time. So, I, I would say this too, if you're in the crowd, the biggest things to look out for, who does crowd noise help the most? It helps the defensive line over the offensive line. So that is one thing that won't be in that Florida's favor this year. As last year, the ends were able to gain a step on the tackles because an offensive tackle, when you're in that environment, you're having to watch the ball. Well, now that's going to be flipped. Caleb on, uh, I don't even know who to call your other pass rusher, Divinity, I guess, yeah. like uh, maybe Marcel Brooks. Like whoever is out there on the edge, you're going to have the ability – to gain a step now with how loud it's going to be in the silent cadence. So, I can't wait. I can't wait. Do you have a prediction for the game? Yeah, I think LSU wins by, you know, about 10 or 13 points. I like, I I like Florida to cover just because, I don't know, history tells me go with Dan Mullen in those situations. But I think I'm LSU, actually going to ride. If I was gambling, I would just ride the LSU train. I wouldn't blame somebody. I'm going to continue. Well, especially to, if, thir- if you're getting 13. 13's the, 14's the key number there. Yeah. So if you can get below 14, I don't blame you. And I saw it at 13.5 today. I think it got yeah. bedded down because obviously if somebody well, sees 14. Well, the 14.5 I tweeted was some kind of offshore lines. So like the real like strong book opening numbers were about 13. Okay. And 13.5. So yeah, today it was 13.5 I saw. Um, I just, I mean, at home... I do think this is an LSU team. All the stars have aligned for. And as we said, I think we're nitpicking so much, and there are very real reasons why LSU fans are 
worried about Florida Mullen & Company, but I do think outside observers looking at this game would maybe have a different breakdown. Yeah. Where they're like, this isn't maybe as close as y'all think it is, uh, which maybe speaks to the Vegas line. And I, I think the know. last thing I'd say is go back to the Texas game about what happened when teams got a pass rush. Joe Burrow and Joe Brady kind of adjusted, and they they broke it, you know? Yeah. Like, the, it's not that LSU offensive line suddenly played better. That's actually a really good point, because last year the response to the rush was horrendous. Yeah, and they they know how to beat that this year. Now, granted, Texas is doing it more with pressure than with, you know, with, with stunts more than, you know, just a four-man rush, so yeah. we'll see what happens. But I think Joe Burrow is the, the breaker of some of these things. So this will be – but. Last, I don't, uh, we didn't. We didn't talk about Joe Burrow, but and, you're right. And I, mean, I don't want to dive into it. Key. We're running pretty late, but like, I, I think I that's the big thing. Hour this minutes. is the first test for this Heisman conversation Ooh. because he's oh, yet yeah. to face a defense that's even top forty. You know, so is Texas defense bad? It's just okay. It's, just it's okay. probably like fifties or sixties. You know, it's yeah. fine. Uh, it's okay, but so this is the first one where it's you know it's him under pressure. It's actually seeing what he can do. It's taking hits again because we all know how as tough as he is. I mean, that obviously had an effect on him last year, the constant hits he was taking. So I think this is going to be – that's going to be the fun storyline of this one is if he pulls it out this game, suddenly that Heisman conversation feels much more real. That's so true. The first Heisman test for Burrow. I love that. And make no mistake, for as much as we talked about the offensive line and, and, and the coaches and all of these other matchups – um, the engine, the driving force remains Burrow. Because if you're gonna, if, if they drop everybody in coverage and you're gonna beat it, although it maybe starts with the tackles, Burrow still, he can help the tackles immensely in that regard. He can be the one that unlocks the, and has unlocked defenses throughout the year. So, yeah, I mean, but that's just football. The quarterback yeah. has an undue uh, impact on the game. It's yeah, why, true. it's why We're pass not- rushers get paid millions of dollars because if you can sack a quarterback, you tank literal points off the board. And it's why people that can protect quarterbacks get paid millions of dollars. Um, so let's go Joe Burrow. Continue to build your legend. Yeah. Uh, I think else she covers. So I w- would be surprised. Thank Another addition. The Hold That Podcast podcast. Remember, go and subscribe to The Athletic if you like Brody's work. Tell your friends about the podcast if you like it. And help your boy out and buy all your game day meats at A-Bear Specialty Meats. Uh, I've been slamming these stuffed chickens. They're fucking delicious. In terms of like a great meal that you don't have to do anything for, all you do is throw them in the oven for an hour and 15. Last night, I had deboned stuffed chicken, so you don't have to deal with any of that. Last night, I had deboned stuffed chicken stuffed with broccoli and cheese. Ooh, that sounds delightful. And it was amazing. I kind of want that. I'm it's hungry. a full meal, just all in one chicken. The whole family ate it. Me, my wife, my little baby. We all smashed it. A-Bear Specialty Meats. You all have a great day. Um, what a weekend it's going to be. Tiger Stadium at its best. And Ed Ingram started the first series of the second half in the Utah State game. Thank you very in much. In case you're wondering. Thank you. Yeah. Don't want to say I was right. but I wasn't arguing you on it. I was just wrong. But I was right. <sighs> Um, all right, Brody. Thank you for real, though. As always, hey, a lot of fun. Thanks for being here. Thank you for no. Thank no. Thank you, you know. Thank you for being here. I know you're very busy. Uh, and catch us next week on the Hold That Podcast podcast. We'll, we'll either be breaking down uh, a crazy win in the next step for this LSU team, or we'll be trying to make sense of disaster. And that's what makes this weekend so great. See you then.